When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's do it. Welcome to episode 30. I don't know. Angel, what episode is it? 30-ish. 29. 29. Bienvenido, everybody. Here we are. So I am tired. (laughs) (laughs) I was just telling you, I stayed up very late last night playing video games. Nice. And I'm suffering from that effect where you think you're effective, but... You know you're not. You know you're not (laughs) if you've read read any of the studies that they've done on people who are sleep-deprived. So that's where I'm at. How are you? Nice. I got sleep. I'll carry the team. Cool. Get on my back. I'll carry us to the podcast finish line. Appreciate you. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. So, do we, should we talk about what happened yesterday morning or sure. what I did last night until 5 a.m.? <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with yesterday morning. Okay. You could tell this story because this was part of the reason that I was so frazzled yesterday. And, yeah, yeah. and I do think it affected like why I was just at the end of the day like, I'm going to zone out on yes. this because the first... Half of the day got hijacked. I actually felt that way too. I was I, at the, around 9 p.m. I hit a wall where mm-hmm. I just went, no more work can be done today. I'm just hijacked. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the early reason for why, us. Yeah. The reason why. So I slept in late yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I wake up to like 17 texts from you and our ops guy, Ivan. And I was like, oh, that's not good. That's never good. And it's because our Peaky Blinders video was the most popular video we've done in months. And it got taken down internationally, all countries, not visible anywhere because of copyright claims. Mm-hmm. And those are a real hassle to fight. Even if you're in the right, the video can get taken down for 30 days. You lose all your momentum. It's just like, oh, fuck. Uh, and I happened to have a call scheduled that day with a guy who does YouTube advice, basically. Well, like meanwhile, just, before you're up, I'm looking up lawyers. I'm looking up. Oh, yeah. You're like, do we countersue? I'm, What's I'm going on? I'm searching copyright courses from Legal Eagle to go and, mm-hmm. and watch his whole copyright course. I'm planning. I submitted the the appeal and i'm doing all this i'm texting you and and i'm like okay this is a huge video we have to try to defend this one yeah we have a phone we, we have a phone call where we go are we about to go to court we're about to lawyer up yeah. against the bbc yeah who's massive right <laughs> yeah. so so yeah then i get on a call with this guy and he used to work at the bbc so as a joke i go dude before we hop in i need you to go crack some skulls i need your help he says what i explain what happened he says, will you look into your YouTube and tell me who made the claim? Like what company? Because sometimes it's BBC Studio. Sometimes it's these other people. And I look and it's both, which is obviously worst case scenario. He goes, all right, well, I'm friends with people at both companies. Let me shoot a text real quick. Shoots off a text. We talk about it. I end up hiring him to do the YouTube stuff. And within 30 minutes, videos back up. It was crazy. Incredible. It was crazy. So I got to figure out what gift to send that guy. Yeah, we're sending some international freight. Pretty yeah, yeah. Freight? Also, shout out, right? shout out right, to the BBC yeah. for being cool about it, though. I yeah. think I think it was either a, like a low-level person in the legal office or some sort of automated um, system that they have for taking down videos. But as soon as someone 
had it brought to their attention, they just went, yeah. You know, that's not my read on it. My read on it is that this is the power of, of nepotism and contacts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> my read was, was not that somebody looked at it and said, oh, I feel that I've made a mistake. I think that if we had not talked to this guy, they would have rejected our appeal. And potentially, as has happened with other networks, threatened, you know, the takedown, the, the generic boilerplate takedown thing, you know, we will go to court, which, of course, nobody actually wants to go to court. Uh, copyright is very interesting on YouTube because a lot of people ask this question. I'll give a little bit of background. We use other people's copyrighted material. Mm -hmm. There's a clause. I don't know where it is in, in the U.S. legal documentation that says that if you are using something that falls under fair use and fair use is what you might see for instance certainly on the daily show and other news stations where they take clips of things that have happened that they do not own the rights to and commentate on them now we take right and you see this in movie reviews all sorts of things and the idea is to create a space for people to comment on pre-existing works of art and literature and whatever without having to seek out the copywriter's explicit permission because mm -hmm. they're creating a new thing, which is a criticism, a commentary, yeah, whatever. Yeah, so for instance, Peaky Blinders is entertainment. Our channel is educational. So you transform the purpose of it and that allows you to do it yeah. legally under the U.S. Exactly. copyright law. Copyright is, copyright is to protect Peaky Blinders from people who upload episodes of Peaky Blinders or clips and go, we're, we're just stealing your audience and monetizing it. Yeah, yeah. Versus hopefully... No one, no, one who's, <laughs> no one who's four seasons into Peaky Blinders is going to watch our video instead of season five. Like, I'm done at this point. Yeah. Oh, I get it. <laughs> Good to know. He's very smart. Yes. So, and, and of course, it's, it's a legal issue and what, what the courts would rule. H3 had this big thing. It's, it's still hotly debated, though, of course, our bias take is that what we do falls within the realm of fair use i'm not biased <laughs> so what was that who sent us that or someone wrote my oh so, yeah we asked for uh recommendations on what to buy something and the yeah. guy wrote my unbiased opinion and then recommended to buy his thing his i product. thought that was so funny yeah so this is this is sort of the background and then these large companies sometimes without thinking about it and sometimes purposely there's these copyright claim farms will claim a video the claim farms what they do is claim a video and then share the ad revenue with the original copyright holder oftentimes doing it in bad faith and i'm not going to say any names right here but the, if you're a youtuber you've seen these names come up for bogus claims humming a, a tiny riff of a song in a 20 minute video that type of thing uh, ours is more you could you could argue was a good faith claim like no I feel like this is ours and we could have duked it out in the court of law but that's all the background I truly think that they would have fought it and it I thought all day about I was like this is what this is ha there's no conspiracy theory there's no uh, Rothschilds getting in a room together this is just how power colludes like we got to go to a high end mastermind where we met this high level YouTube guy. And you made a phone call, and he sent a text, and our problem was solved. Yeah, it was sick. And if we'd had one one-hundredth <laughs> of the size, we wouldn't have been in that mastermind. Yeah. We never would have met him, and we would have been screaming. We also to wouldn't an have the money for a long— To be clear, this did happen to us when we were smaller. Yeah. And you just fold. Yeah. When you're small and you don't have money, people—the first time we got a thing that said, hey, we're going to sue you, we just went— Hold on, I'm going to put my tail between my yeah. legs. I'm going to click, you get whatever you want. Please leave me alone. I'm and, scared. Dude, I was thinking about all of the barriers. The first barrier is you're terrified. The first time somebody threatens legal action against you, how many Americans understand the finer points of the law? Yeah, no. I don't even know anything about speeding. <laughs> like, I thought it was a huge deal. I didn't realize that the amount of lawsuits that get threatened versus filed mm -hmm. versus to court, yeah. huge drop off. So threatened lawsuits, yeah. massive. Yeah. Actually even filed, much smaller. Goes to court. 
one percent of them. And maybe. then and then you have to lose. Yeah. Now of course going to court is a loss because you're probably paying lawyers fees. So yeah, you don't yeah, you want lose a lot to of do time. that. But so that's the first barrier is somebody we had this happen with our Conor McGregor video. Somebody just said, Oh, we've taken down YouTube channels in the past. We'll do it to you. And we had we were terrified and scared and angry and we, I remember that. We stuck it out and what do you know, it went away because their claim was ridiculous. Yeah. Like uh and and I, okay, so that's the first level is fear. Then the second level is, okay, I understand the law. Do I have the money and the resources to even fight it? Because we've gotten letters, and I'm sure other people have, and I'm not saying that they're acting in bad faith in every occasion, but from massive corporations that have lawyers on retainer who have nothing better to do. Yeah, yeah it's no additional cost for a huge company to sue you because they are already paying a flat salary for their lawyer. So they might as well put them to work. And for some of these companies, the Universal Music Groups, it's their entire business model requires them to fight these things because if if the landscape of who owns what changes they could go away right mm -hmm. if if uh they, they kind of play this middleman role between artist and consumer and mm -hmm. and they're really trying to maintain that even in the face of shifting technology so they've sued people right and they've settled and and then you can't even talk about what happens if you get if you settle and so that happens and then yeah man we we get to text somebody who texts somebody and it's gone that's insane. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's insane. And I feel fortunate, thankful to the person who did this. But also, I remember when we didn't have that mm -hmm. ability. And it really is, I felt this real barrier for moving from small time YouTube to big time. And when you get to the big time level, which we're still Yeah, I was going to say, we're like medium time. We're breathing on the, the edge of it, though. I mean, this is the first time I've had an experience like this. Sure. But we're not hot wings. No, we no. can't call up Dwayne Johnson to come on to our show. I don't have number at YouTube when yeah. something happens. I... Yeah, we don't even have, uh, <laughs> we don't have someone at YouTube that sure. can answer our question. It's not about me, but it's it's uh, seeing that there's some of these creators that get invited to go to the YouTube 100 top creators thing, and then they all collab together, and then they all get bigger, yeah. and then it's not collusion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no collusion. No collusion. <laughs> no collusion. No collusion. <laughs> but I just see how, yeah, man, it's when you get when you start to get an audience then you make friends that have audiences and they yeah. help and it's like the rich get richer the poor stay how do we locked out how do we go from medium time <laughs> to big time that's what this makes me want to know well honestly we have broken through the hardest barrier which is no time to medium time mm. from medium time to big time we i can say this now we were invited accepted to speak at the no, traffic no 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 I you're can. not allowed to say it i can are you they sure just sent an email yeah oh okay so ah! oh, they literally told me not to say no this. they just sent an email i was like tell everyone oh cool <laughs> yeah cool uh so that's a for instance where it's it's this marketing thing that's in san diego i'm talking about youtube for the first time ever uh it's gonna be a six speech because yeah. i've never i've never talked nobody cares on our channel how yeah. how Some we people. built it Some it's not people. everyone yeah fair enough um so i don't i'm not even trying to sell this too hard but if you are interested in youtube i can't speak for the rest of the event my speech is going to be dope. <laughs> so come fill up the audience if you're interested. But now, that's so funny because I literally had a note that said, "Don't, don't let Char this. don't let Charlie say the name of the <laughs> I speech." Just, I just read because I knew you were going to be excited. I just read the email. Okay, yeah. uh, it's so funny. But that's okay. That's medium time to. I'm going to be on stage and people will come up after and I'll get to meet the other speakers and I've had a few chances backstage where it's everybody's a human, everybody's kind, yeah. and then you begin to just, oh, I could text that person or I can connect you with this person. So I eventually want to make a video about this because I think that I 
my understanding of networking is like you show up to an event, you make a buddy, and then you leave the event <laughs> and you go back to your normal life. Yeah. And I'm seeing people, not us, who have succeeded truly by virtue of who they know. Sure. Uh, and I don't necessarily want to make that our focus, but I recognize that for a lot of people, one contact can be what holds them back in a number of ways. Yeah, so yeah. I want, I want, you're, you're investigating this. And I want to see. If I'll can, do it. Yeah. What, have you learned anything? Do you have any insights? Into no, right it? now I'm trying to weigh what makes more sense. So I am trying to decide if I should focus on networking or if there's areas to improve in the course. So mm -hmm. we have 600 survey responses that I'm going to read at some point this weekend. Mm -hmm. And if the, if there's feedback for a feature that people want or a module people want, you, yeah. I'll make that. And if most of it's just, it's great, it's great, you know. We or, love it, or, either, or somebody just being like, it's too expensive. There's not anything. Yeah, we yeah, can yeah. Do. Exactly. Then I'm gonna. Then I'll focus on networking. Yeah, so it yeah. really depends on if uh, some sort of feature shows up 400 times in the 500 responses. Got it. Got it. Uh, so you don't have any any networking thoughts as of yet. You're still thinking about all that. I'm still thinking about whether to think about networking. Okay. Got it. So what I would this what this fortuitously timed call that you had made me realize is how powerful a text message to a friend can be when yeah. that friend has his his uh, a bit of power well i think not a friend is the big thing because there's a lot of ways to network i think the one way that people network incorrectly is they go in with a taker mindset or with a i want to so i want charlie's help on youtube so i'm going to go to this event try to befriend him ingratiate myself to him suck up to him so i can get something from him mm -hmm. and i think that almost never works but then the other thing, which I've been doing, is I just go to events and try to make buds. Just bro and if somebody, yeah. <laughs> if somebody, if somebody can help me, and I can help them, but we don't, we wouldn't surf together or get dinner together for fun. I never stay in touch with those people. Yeah. And if they hit me up, I'm always happy to help. But I'm just going to most events trying to find people I would surf, hang out with in my social time, and. Yeah, to be fair, I just went surfing with a YouTuber yesterday. and it's, who, who has it's, nothing in, you know, nothing that we've been able to get help. Or, yeah, he or, might help me a year from now, but I do it because even if he were any job, I would just like him because he's cool and we surf yeah. together. I think there's a middle ground, which is you go to these events looking for people who are interesting, that maybe you can help, that maybe can help you, and you try to help them, or you try to stay in touch once every three months. Mm -hmm. Like my surf, I'll see that surf guy every week, or I text yeah. him every week at least. But I don't really do a good job of meeting someone, thinking they're interesting, but that we wouldn't be friends. And then every two months just going, hey, what's new with you? What are you working yeah. on? Can I help you in some way? Oh, that's interesting. Maybe I know a guy. And I think that might be the best way to network. I'm really curious. And let's let's come back to that because yeah. something about that does kind of rub me. This is why I haven't done it is because like, I don't want to talk to people that I don't want to spend time with. And yeah. I don't want to. And I'm not saying that it's immoral, but I just have a. A personal reaction to that which is i don't want to speak to people that i don't have um non-business reasons to be well let me counter that in. so this guy yesterday yeah really nice guy we i had a great i enjoyed talking to him a i would enjoy hanging out with him me too he's older married with children yeah if he lived in la we would not see him more than once every couple months because we live very different lives yeah that's but fair. i like but i genuinely like him and i would love if I, he it, came to la i'd get dinner i'd with get him dinner for exactly. no reason except for his company so maybe but he that's, wouldn't, but that's he's not, the thing. Exactly. But he's not the same as the dude yesterday who I would see every week for 52 weeks. Got it. Uh, and that's because our lives are so different. But I like him. I genuinely like him. I see. So there's this level of if friend is someone that you would hang out with once a week 
then there's this level of I like this person, but we're different enough that our lives keep us apart or we have different yeah, hobbies. Our age, our interests. But I where could we genuinely enjoy catching up once every several months mm-hmm. over food. And if nothing came of it, it would still be a positive interaction for me. Yeah. And I think you could, you build a lot of those. This is just my, my working hypothesis. You build yeah. a lot of those and then you do go get dinner with them. And Got you it. don't expect that every time you meet them, something good will happen Got to it. you monetarily. But you just do it because it's enjoyable. But sometimes they'll say something you can help them with. So what is, you your, what is your hypothesis about the level below? Which is somebody who you think is, is in the same industry, whatever. But when you do go to dinner once every four months, you're like, I didn't need to. Like, I just didn't really enjoy that conversation. That's or... not for me, I think. Okay. Someone could benefit from that. Yeah. I can actually think of someone we know who probably does that pretty yeah. aggressively. I don't think that's for me. I don't think that's sustainable. Got it. Um, yeah. If I want to be doing a dinner like that every single week. And every single week I leave going, if not for the business, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. Two months in, I'm going to be like, yo, I don't want to be our networker anymore. So I think it has to be someone that you enjoy the company of, even if it's not someone you'd be friends with. Let's see how it goes. I think this could be really interesting because I think everything that I've read on networking doesn't address that, Mm -hmm. which is how much do you have to like this person? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't answer that question. A lot of little sums. So I'm very curious what, what your experience is as you, as you dive into it. But yeah, uh, crazy. Uh, appreciate, appreciate, his name is Tom, for, for hooking up. We can give him a little shout out, right? I don't think he's like looking to be anonymous. Channel Fuel is what, he, uh, is what his business is called, and he helps grow YouTube channels, which is why you were on the phone with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, man single text like saved my but it was already the afternoon then and i was all over the place after looking at lawyers but it was was there's also something about the frenetic nature of that yeah that i think burns your brain faster yeah if you had done something like scripting a video just as much mental energy just as much focus but less frantic i don't think it would burn you out as fast i think there's something about fighting a fire metaphorical fire yeah that just the lamest fire ever yeah, to exactly exactly that's what i'm saying metaphorical <laughs> the fire most, the most <laughs> loser not, fire yeah, let's not we're not heroes <laughs> yeah but i think there is something about the frantic nature of that that makes you burn through glucose faster that just made me think of all of the ridiculous phrases in yeah. the business world. yeah yeah like that guy is a rock star it's like dude he sits on excel all yeah. day yeah, like, he's a rock star <laughs> i've been to his house i didn't see 50 women waiting outside oh my god you're a hero because yeah. i finished the powerpoint on time like the business world is and they talk in sports analogies they talk about touchdowns yeah, and, yeah. And, and i need you to quarterback this we're gonna quarterback this move the ball down the field it's like has anyone in this room ever played organized because <laughs> it doesn't look like it to me who's worn a football helmet <laughs> no one excellent not a halloween costume okay hands down. <laughs> uh but so the frenetic morning led into my evening where i was just like zoned and playing this video game way too late and it's interesting it's called it's a game called disco elysium it just came out and it's i told you a little bit it's a choose your own adventure detective thing mm-hmm. and it's been making me realize a couple things one just personally I cannot savor a story. I can only burn a story. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, what do you mean? So when, when there's something that I'm interested in and I want to know what happens, and it typically happens in books, I start reading less and less of every page. To oh, you, just, sprint. you sprint to the end. It's such a, it's such a shame. Yeah. I, can't, I don't, and I need to meditate more so I can play video games more effectively <laughs> <laughs> because I'm just burning through this in an attempt to know. Jay Shetty's watching this video going, oh, no, 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 sir. That's not, not how meditation why we works. Meditate. 
so I so I'm burning through this in an attempt to get through. I still didn't even make it all the way through, but it's it's interesting because it's the most uh, interconnected choose your own adventure that I've ever seen, mm -hmm. and it really made me think about Elon Musk's simulation theory mm. and how I would play if I was in Elon Musk simulation theory. And so my first playthrough in all these games, I'm like a good person. Mm -hmm. I go through, I apologize for the bad things that I've done. I don't steal. I don't take bribes. Mm -hmm. Like I play it straight. But certainly if I ever play it again, there's options to like punch him in the face instead. You yeah, know yeah. What I mean? Like steal no, this yeah, money. You start, to get, you start to get curious. What if I did that weird macabre thing I would never do in real life? Exactly. So if this is in fact a simulation, I'm in one of my first run-throughs, yeah. <laughs> and and in later run-throughs is when I'll go and I'll just be like, punch him in the face. <laughs> Dude, I can never do it. I no? can never do it. So I, I do the same thing. I'm always very virtuous. <laughs> and there's this, this one game that I absolutely loved, Divinity Original Sin 2, which I was obsessed with. Yeah. And I played Far it through. Obsessed with. <laughs> I, I wish, man. Unfortunately, you, you, uh, you can only replay a game, I think, Four times. a couple times before you burn out. <laughs> But you, uh, I, uh, I play through virtuously the first time, and then the second time, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna be evil, dude. I can't do it. Yeah. Even though there are pixels on a screen, even though there's no AI involved, no one is get. I can't do it. I can pick pockets. Mm -hmm. I can't kill. I can't kill people for no reason. <laughs> it's really weird. I had this crisis of conscience while I was playing. I was like, am I gonna, really gonna do this? I can't. Well, we. They don't deserve it. Yeah. It's like this NPC with no AI charged into it. Like. So maybe it's a personality thing. But we were talking to a buddy here on this couch and he was talking about simulation theory which is elon musk popularized it the idea that if we can create these video games and as they get more and more lifelike uh and you get virtual reality and, and artificial VR, intelligence and especially if you've done one of those moving vr things you realize how convincing they can be even in their early stages yeah so what's to say that this reality that we exist in isn't a simulation and if you've played these games what you realize is you just wish that you could forget it and play it all over. Yeah. So what if you purposely, you're like, oh, it was a fun game, I'm gonna wipe it again, and then chose different difficulty and experiences. Because yeah, that's yeah. kind of what I'm saying that I'm doing, is like, I'll just ruin the game. There's some, <laughs> like, there's, there's, you know, this is someone I'm seeing who has some health issues, yeah. and that's what I tell her. I'm just like, listen, you just played this game before, you got bored, you set it on hard mode, don't feel discouraged. Yeah. You were just really good when you went easy mode, like me. Yeah. So yeah. That's that is a, a mindset that I've started to adapt. Well, I didn't I didn't believe it when he was talking because he's like, if I were playing a simulation, he this friend of ours was like, I would purposely choose the hardest mode. I was like, I would never do life on hard. Why would you want to suffer? Why would you want pain? Why yeah. would you want any of those things? And then here I am in this game putting my avatar through like <laughs> the worst. Yeah. And for, I think anyone who thinks that there's no way it's a simulation, I, try to get your hands on a good VR unit if yeah. you can, because before I had tried VR simulation theory sounded bogus mm -hmm. but then when you get it and we're in we're in the early early beta stages it's obviously still something you're wearing on your head but it's it can be really consuming it, you can forget totally. the world outside especially i went to one where they have you walk around so you're moving and then you have they shoot smells at you and he, they change the heat so yeah. if you're in a volcano it gets hotter that's early innings 100 years from now all of a sudden simulation theory becomes much more convincing whereas if i hadn't done that i'd be like oh, of course this isn't a simulation there's one area in that where you're walking on a gangplank above lava and i'm not kidding i was 
it did not cross my mind to play around on the edge of the gangplank. Yeah, plank. yeah. I was like dead center, yep. tiny steps. Yeah. With and and it's again, like you said, it's still really early. You're wearing this 15 pound clunky thing on you. You can look out the bottom of your nose. They purposely cut a hole right here because it's so intense that you need it on occasion to be able to look down your nose and see the world underneath. Yeah, it. it triggers people's fear of heights sometimes. Yeah. VR units. Uh, so. Not saying that I'm convinced, but that I find it plausible. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah, it's it's not. Uh, I see I see no evidence for, but certainly not any against yeah. <laughs> at this point. My buddy's deep deep yeah. in the simulation. They're just like, dude, quantum physics. When you get to the lowest level, it's not smooth. They bounce around just yeah. like ones and zeros. Yeah. It's binary. Yeah. It's computer code. Yeah. I was like, all right, I'm not a quantum physicist. Yeah. I'm not sure that this makes sense, but he's just quantum physics is the the most often abused science i think yeah because no one understands because no one can understand it and they'll have things i mean there was this there's this one clip of deepak chopra uh debating sam harris in front i think it's in caltech yeah and he's talking about string theory and non-locality and how things act at a distance and 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 all of these words yeah, it sounds exist. it sounds good in like well they exist in in the uh the string theory community yeah. And Sam Harris makes just, he's like, if there's any string theorists in here, can we please get one? And and the guy stands up. He says, just so you know, Mr. Chopra, this is, you're not using these words correctly. <laughs> <laughs> like, they don't mean what you think they mean in everyday parlance. Yeah. Uh, so I, all that I can say with regards to string theories, yeah, I, and quantum mechanics is I have no idea. Yeah. I, I have to really no, get I don't, into it. I don't want to pick on anybody, but I do think it's funny when you get into that whole the secret manifestation community. Mm-hmm. I think there is merit to the reticular activation system. The idea that when you buy a red car, you see a lot more red cars. What you focus on can change how you feel and maybe some of the outcomes in your life. But the phrase that always gets me is that if you want something, you just have to vibrate at a mm-hmm. higher frequency. That's a phrase that gets said all the time by certain yeah. woo-woo people. And I don't think they realized that if you changed how your atoms vibrated, you would dissolve <laughs> because that... The frequency they're at is what holds us solid <laughs> as a human. Yeah, yeah. And so if you vibrated at twice the speed, you would either explode or melt. Well, it's unclear what they mean. But yeah, if if, if what they mean is, if you figure a gas is these really quickly bouncing particles together, and and then a liquid is whatever, somewhere between, then solids are, are more tightly compacted. I do believe that the frequency of those vibrations has to do with both the heat and the state yeah. that it's in, which is like... I don't want you messing with this. With like, yeah. I rather enjoy being no, mostly say, liquid with some solid. We all vibrated. I mean, some of them maybe will be would would justify it differently. I'm not saying everyone that uses that sentence, but some people literally go, "We vibrate at a cellular level. Mm-hmm. We're vibrating all the time. And if you vibrate at a higher frequency, that is how you bring more good into your life because high frequency attack attracts yeah. high frequency. Yeah. I'm like. One, I'm not sure that high frequency does attract high frequency. I don't know enough about frequency physics. But two, if you did double your frequency, you would not be a yeah. solid human being. All the books that I'm reading are big into frequencies, these yeah. spiritual books. And I really, I kind of just glaze over it and I leave it as, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say that you just skipped the section where you were going to explain what you mean frequency by frequency was. and yeah. vibration. And I'm just going to try to read through They're this. fighting fires. It's a metaphor. Yeah. Uh, I... I it's plausible that there's an explanation that I've just not yet heard, but I've, yeah, I've, I've not heard anyone. That's what turned me off the power now, quite frankly, is was reading uh, Eckhart Tolle, who I now really, really admire, yeah, yeah. Uh, talking about vibrating and frequency. I was like, this is gobbledygook. But I think, one, it was definitely a mistake to throw out the entire book because sure. of that. And second, it's like, okay, 
if anyone would ever who who is knows this stuff like to talk to me about frequencies and what they mean when they say that i would be genuinely fascinated to hear because it would really unlock a lot of a lot of what i'm trying to read uh that otherwise i just glaze right over yeah. i'm like okay i don't i don't know what you're saying i'm gonna reserve judgment for, for a minute here um so i have one thing <laughs> okay well here i got a bunch let me go first that way we, right. we can bounce around uh, Mine's so not even that good. <laughs> Mine are me quick. Mine are me quick hits. Got quick you. hits. Okay, we don't have to. We don't have to dally on them. But I saw a news article and it was hilarious and it's hypocrisy. So I wanted to share it with you. Sure. It was uh, CNN's Darcy. She wrote, uh, "This is of the Trump impeachment stuff." Uh, don't expect viewers, listeners, and readers of right-wing media to walk away from the impeachment hearings with a different opinion of President Trump's behavior. In fact, it's possible they might be more convinced than ever that Trump did nothing wrong. Why? Because right-wing media has largely and unsurprisingly focused on the moments in the hearing favorable to its preferred narrative. And I went, well, this is true. Yeah, yeah. But if I swap out conservative for liberal and right-wing for left-wing, it's still true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought that was hilarious. So I just wanted to share that with you. Yeah, no, I think uh, that's an, uh, the point that you made, which is, I just want to underscore, is that's exactly true. It is that true. There's no, there's no arguing with that, but it's... It's such a half story as to be misleading, which is like, oh, there's this special group of people. And we've talked a little bit about... Well, both sides do this. That's what, And I guess the reason I wanted to share this is because I think whenever you're criticizing anyone, it's important to go, am I guilty of this? And really to sit down because you have so many mechanisms yeah. in your brain, in your heart, and your psyche to defend against any sort of self-incrimination. And this is a journalist yeah. critiquing right-wing journalism and their journalism does the exact same thing like yes you are right they do this but so do you mm -hmm. you're part of a, a system that has a systemic issue that creates this yeah and i just thought it was fascinating because in her what she's writing is we cnn are unbiased real news yeah they fox bad well i'd be interested to ask i don't know what they would say because and this is just from a psychological uh is anyone with this impeachment interested in starting from not knowing and getting to the truth does anyone <laughs> yeah, everyone seems to be rooting for something for something right yeah. like what would you like to happen is kind of an ins and if you have an opinion on that it's a bit insane because the hope would be that what you would like to happen is to, is to uncover discover the truth this discover the you truth you shouldn't be if you hate trump and you discover that he's done nothing wrong ideally you wouldn't be upset that the president <laughs> hadn't committed a crime but I and, think a lot of people and would be. Let's just be clear, and the flip side is also true. If you're a, if you're a massive Trump supporter, and you find out that he did, I don't even I don't know what committed about something horrible, did a horrible sin, or or something that is uh, committed a war crime that you would impeach a Democrat over. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then that should be off. You should go. Oh, I should stop supporting mm -hmm. Trump, or oh, this should change my opinion for who I vote for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or at least admit. I'm incredibly Machiavellian about this, and I, <laughs> and I you know, I don't care. You know, yeah. I don't care that he did bad. I accept that he—I don't even want to say bad. Yeah, I guess because I bad identify— a silly word. Because I identify more as, as a Democrat or a liberal, I always try to use that as the bad example yeah. to, like, counter my, my own bias, you know? So I say, mm -hmm. if you hate Trump, because everybody I hang out with hates Trump. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's important, I guess, to note this is true of everyone, of yeah. all sides. Yeah. You're rooting for anything but the truth. You may want to look inside. Yeah, look inside— <laughs> Yeah, it's great. That's that we we've talked about this with regards to the issues that people get passionate about. Mm -hmm. And I've advocated on the podcast. I'll say it again for thinking of like people argue about gun control. What should we do? And and 
nobody really ever changes their mind. Like people who want there to be certain restrictions or further restrictions on guns, research all the reasons that that should be the case. Mm -hmm. And people who don't research all the reasons that that shouldn't be the case. And what I would advise anyone who is to do is one, turn off the news and for don't worry about this, do something else that you know you can make a positive impact. But if you have to, and this is your, this is your thing, uh, zoom out, research the statistics on what harms most Americans. You know, start with number one, which I believe is like heart disease kills people, you know, yeah. and, and then go, what is the best way to attack these? Well, I actually think you you were talking about something that was bril- that's, that is a brilliant <clears throat> idea. And so I, I want to kind of pause on it. If you are pro gun control, you would benefit from learning all the reasons why your position is truly gray and not just white. And if you are anti-gun control, you should learn all the reasons why gun control is mm-hmm. good. And I think one, that will help you to be a more nuanced thinker. Two, it'll actually help you be smarter on the issue. Sure. I think when you get stuck in your echo chamber, weirdly enough, when you go to debate someone who's from the different echo chamber, they're going to talk to you about stuff you've never heard of. You're mm-hmm. going to be talking about how guns are evil and they're going to tell you that nobody dies from assault rifles. Everybody mm-hmm. dies from handguns and it will truly catch you off guard mm-hmm. and you will, it'll be obvious that you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So weirdly enough, even if you do end up sticking on your own side, you should want to know what the other side is actually right about. You know, what's interesting is that um, you said your side and the other side yeah, as yeah. if those things are fixed. And I think that's true. That's not, that's how it's treated. I was doing the Trevor Noah and it was one of the things I was disappointed in in his phrasing of it was he advises learning about the other side so you can debate them better. Mm. And it's like, why wouldn't, why would you be fixed in a side? Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to do the most effective thing to save the most lives or to, to, to increase liberty? And we can debate the philosophy of what should underscore how we approach these issues. Sure. What amount of liberty we're willing to give up for what degree of safety, right? Those are important foundational issues that can lead to well-meaning people in completely different policy directions. Mm-hmm. But it was like, you he's he's the only way that maybe he was just being clever was persuading other people to look at the other side was so they could win better yeah, yeah it's yeah. like why do you want to win well you know this we got asked this on a podcast someone asked how how are you so thoughtful about your ideas or whatever and i said the number one strength i have is i'm a flip-flopper yeah so if i talk to somebody and they make better points than me i'll just go to their side of the mm-hmm. argument until somebody comes up with better points than those so i start with a moron's understanding of gun control and then someone says something that is more intelligent than i think and so I go, oh, that makes more sense than what I think. And then I try to, you know, be smart about that until someone else says, no, that's dumb. Here's why. And I go, okay. And I think that's the best way to actually decide how you feel. Sure. Just to, to be open to both options. And, as, and especially as long as what you did, you drew it the ladder going up. It's not back and forth. It's with an increased understanding. You drew, yeah, it, yeah, you drew yeah. it correctly, which is I, un- I get this point and why this is debunked by this point, but also why this point isn't totally complete. Like... And then there, that's where you come to the more nuanced understanding. And what I've, with all of this stuff, uh, for me, it's, it's honestly so contentious that I try to focus on the things that seem like definite wins, like clean water yeah. <laughs> via charity water, right? Uh, but I don't know how we got on that. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember. So I've been listening to podcasts. There was, I just, uh, trying to understand for for this and there's a lot mm-hmm. of different formats naval ravikant has one where he talks about money i've only listened to a handful of them but he there was just one interesting point because he he often puts a really interesting framing around different issues hmm. and he says that people play two primary games in life at least in consumerist america 
They play the status game or they play the money game. And he recommends the money game as the better game because mm. he says status is zero sum. In order for me to be at the top of any sort of hierarchy, mm-hmm. you must be beneath me. And, and for that trade to occur, for somebody else to be the leader, I need to move down a step. And what he argues is that money is, is a, uh, y- you can expand the pie. Right, that multiple people can be wealthy. Uh, the entire world is wealthier today than it was a hundred years ago. People who have it, you know, are in the bottom tenth percentile or richer than kings were three hundred years ago in terms mm-hmm. of what they can achieve. Yeah, we can all eat pineapple. Yeah, yeah, and I don't, I don't think that money is this. This didn't make me think, oh, I should go earn a lot of money, but it really did. It just added another nail in the coffin of status <laughs> 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 to me, which is like, yeah, it, it just, it, it necessarily comes at the expense. Of someone else and okay if you if you happen to rise up the status hierarchy fine you don't need to you don't need to jump back down it but like i i sense that in myself as a desire to tell the best joke uh be heard the most be recognized the most but it it necessarily excludes <laughs> every other person who can't occupy those top positions know what i'm saying yeah your status and fame are different in this scenario i'm saying status yeah yeah, yeah. so i guess well no even fame has uh, perhaps it's expansive but it has a if everyone's famous no one's famous well sorry what i was saying is I, the reason i think that i would prefer not to be famous is not because it requires making someone else less famous it's because the upside to fame does not seem yeah nearly as strong as the downside yeah to fame so it's in totally self-interested way being famous looks terrifying mm-hmm. um Whereas status can be in your own social circle, right? Status can be that you have five friends and that they tend to look at you for making the decisions or for being the leader. So that's why I was asking if you mean status or fame. You can be someone that no one has ever heard of, but you're the CEO of your company. So within your company, you'd be high status. Got it. So what I I hadn't really honed down on it, but I was thinking particularly in the... uh the realm of uh, consumption, you know, having uh, cooler clothes, cooler this, cooler that, which is, I guess, related to money in some ways. But also, I've been doing this Paul Rudd video, which is why I think about it. One of the things that we're going to talk about in the video is how he uh, is easy, able to do this easily from his position as a celebrity, but mm-hmm. turns questions back on the interviewers, mm-hmm. uh, puts them at the center of the spotlight. And what that winds up doing, especially given his position of status, is it makes him come across so much better, even though he doesn't necessarily have to dominate the whole conversation. Sure. Uh, and I do I do see what you're saying, that there are areas where you actually might not want to abdicate status. Like if you are if you want to influence your friends to take a particular trip to Orlando, we've, we've done this with our friend group. Sure. Okay, where are we going to go visit? You know, do we going to go to Brazil? We're going to go to the Philippines. Well, I don't want to go to the Philippines. Yeah, like yeah. having a position where I can where I can Where move. people value your opinion or yeah. respect what you're preferences are yeah yeah but it does come at the expense of the it person does. who wants to go to the Philippines. it does it totally yeah. does yeah. i was just questioning if it's bad at a, at a community level yeah i guess uh so i guess it's a bit more nuanced than that but and there's a difference between bad to have versus good to pursue mm-hmm. maybe what naval is saying is uh. that you don't want to make that your your goal your goal should be to make people feel good around you and for you to have fun and be a positive influence on people and then that maybe will make you rise to a status sure. position which sure then isn't inherently bad. Yeah, nice to. I think that's fair. Nice to have, not the best pursuit. Yeah. But I think sta- I think fame. I think a lot of famous people would literally throw it away if they could. I think that there's there's negatives to fame, whereas mm-hmm. status in your company and your friend group, there that could be a good thing actually. It just maybe is a hollow pursuit in and of itself. If yeah. instead of 
pursuing making other people feel good or having fun yourself your goal is to achieve that status maybe mm -hmm. that's where the error would be would be yeah or maybe Naval is wrong and I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go to the Philippines. I'm never listening again. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to listen. He's got, he, he's uh, clever and he made me realize that with our podcasts, I want our library to be not, uh, most people will not do this, but I want someone to be able to go back to a six month old episode, a mm -hmm. 12 month old episode and not have it be all about the news that happened that day. Sure. And I think we've done a pretty good job, but I just want to make sure that we're moving our titles in that direction because mm. sometimes it's easy to be like, KSI beats Logan Paul. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Okay, I, I officially don't care two days after that happened. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but go ahead. Yeah, I have something from the news today. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. As long as we, no, we no. often go. Listen, I'm kidding. It is from the news, but that's it's not. Uh, you'll see. It's not because it's salacious. So Sarah Palin, I didn't know this, is, is potentially getting divorced. And I thought this was interesting for two reasons. I have no interest in Sarah uh, Palin one way or the other. But she's been married for 31 years. She found out via email from her husband's lawyer, which I find fascinating. How does that occur? You guys live together, I assume. And two, because I'm giving you the option of what you want to focus on. Two, she's deeply religious. In the interview where she talks about this, she talks about how I don't think God wants couples to split up and just re re references faith a lot. And, you know, she says, I don't want to pray for my marriage because I want to pray for us both to be happy. But I pray that people don't realize the grass is not always greener or whatever, you know, I, I think I threw in too many negatives, but I thought that was interesting because relationships are so hard. Yeah. There are so many more divorces than bankruptcies and everybody pursues wealth and talks about how hard it is to get rich. But I see more failures in the relationship side than, than anywhere else, which is just crazy to me because well, she's deeply religious. Yeah. She's in Alaska and they're getting divorced. So yeah, your player option. We can talk about the fact that people find out about their divorces via email, or we can talk about how hard relationships are. So but my, I just thought this was an interesting... What I thought you said was interesting is that relationships fail, and it's like, well, they only fail because it was expected to last forever. Yeah. Like, if Charisma on Command doesn't last another 70 years, it wasn't a failure. Yeah. But if I get married today and we split in 30 years, that's a failure. Mm -hmm. It's it's just a it's a structure or called a failure. It's called a failure. And no, it's felt like a failure. And you ask, how do you get an email? I mean, I, I think that's safe to say that's a, at least a decade, at least a decade of not good. Yeah. Right. You what about don't just a bad week. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, right. Because you figure. No, okay, we've all been in relationships. If you had 27 that's... great years. Yeah. Four, four not so great. And you're religious. Probably not going to do no, it. No, listen, we've all had relationships that lasted longer than they should because mm -hmm. it is hard to end a relationship. So if you're 31 years in ending it via email, it, it was not good for 30 of those years. Well, so so my thing that I try to do in my own life to, to middling effect, hopefully better than Sarah Palin has. You know, hopefully I'm not in a 31-year relationship that I suspect has been not great for a very long time. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not a failure if it ends. Mm. It's not, and I think, unfortunately, marriage is an institution that it's not a biological institution that reflects the the way that men and women mate and pair up. It is a social institution that reflects the norms of the time in, in the post-agrarian, okay, we got to band together, form a family, pass down the, the lineage to the oldest son so that he can expand his little fiefdom, right? Mm -hmm. And we and make a bunch of children to till the farms. Uh, it, I, it's outdated. The, 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 people aren't going to like this. The lifetime vow, there's nothing biologically uh, 
necessary in that lifetime vow. And if you look how people pair, it clearly doesn't work like that. So to hold yourself- Sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's all different kinds of aberrations from the norm in every realm of things. But when you look at the way people pair, uh, they do it for a period of time and then they split. And sometimes that period of time includes children and, so, and, and sometimes it includes raising those children to the age where they can take care of themselves. Increasingly nowadays, I don't know what the stats are, but like you get the kids out of the house and it's like, okay, we could finally do this divorce yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, we've been, yeah. that we've been planning since they were six. We had a friend that did that. Yeah, we had more than one friend that did that. We had several friends who did that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's, that's my take is it's just, I only wish that that for her sake and for other people's sake that they could have been one more honest with each other so it didn't arrive at a point. I was going to ask, what can you do? Because I, I, I know another friend of mine that got blindsided by a divorce. And so I think that that's a thing that happens to people. Is they don't realize how unhappy their partner is. Yeah. How do you prevent that? What do you build into your relationship or build into your own personality? How can you make sure that you're not the kind of person that thinks your marriage is going well until you get served divorce papers. So I think, I have no idea. <laughs> I think you tell hard truths to your partner so as to model what they ought to do to you, mm. which is, and people aren't going to like this, but like uh, if you find yourself falling out of attraction with them because they've whatever, you know, put on weight or something like that, you and, and this is an important aspect of the truth, you don't just blurt out, I'm not attracted to you. You communicate the whole truth, which is, I love you. This is difficult for me to say. I want to share this with you so that I'm not holding something back from you and then secretly resenting you. And I and I do this in the hopes that our relationship can actually get better. And mm -hmm. you set uh, a relationship that has an understanding that someone can communicate something that is in, in typical social society considered impolite or hard or you shouldn't say. But that becomes completely deal withable inside of your relationship because mm -hmm. it's safe enough that both of you have said the things that you don't like about the other person and you know that that's not a death knell for the relationship uh that's what i try to do you know uh but what will that mean it means that my relationships will end now the difference is they won't last 31 years mm -hmm. <laughs> they will hopefully end short more shortly after things turn not good because of the increased honesty though i'm definitely not <laughs> you've seen me you've seen me hang on 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 a handful of occasions never let go <laughs> never let go never let go but certainly not 31 years yeah right and and i don't know how long it was bad i'm speculating obviously what yeah. do you think i just think they're hard i guess the reason i wanted to bring it up is just so people recognize that it's hard for everyone that's kind of what i was thinking i was like okay what do i want people listening or watching to take away from this if i'm gonna bring it up relationships are difficult that's all and so if you've been in a relationship that failed or if you're in a relationship and you guys love each other but you're fighting you're not doing it wrong mm -hmm. you know i think that what society sometimes would like you to believe is that it's all disney and everything's great and things are awesome and if one of you is attracted to other people that's a personal failing mm -hmm. or if you guys fight over something no matter what it is then you guys have relationship issues that's just having a relationship, you know? And so that was kind of my takeaway is I think people would be happier the more that we accepted being with someone forever is tough and requires sacrifice and doesn't always yeah. work. And if you're going to date anyone, you're going to fight with them at some point, try to minimize it. I think you have to date a lot to kind of get a sense for what dating really is. Well, 
well, we've talked about this. Some of the people that do last, and I can't attest to how happy their relationships are, are, the, are those people who date the least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, 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 they come from religious, small communities. For they sure. get married early, and I, I couldn't tell you what goes on behind closed doors, but they have often long-lasting yeah. relationships. So that's definitely your bias, that sure. one, one ought to date a lot. Just, just throwing well, that out there. Regardless, even if those people, let's say you met at 17. Mm -hmm. Here's another thing. You met at 17, you've never dated, and you and your wife are fighting because you're 35 now. That's what would have happened no matter who you married, mm -hmm. I guess. That's the takeaway. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think that they're in a unique situation where they're bad at dating or mm -hmm. bad at being married. And when I read this, my takeaway was just like, yeah, this is really hard. <laughs> and I, I, yeah. I think people should accept that they're not doing it wrong just because it's not always Disney. Sure, but I, not but. I want to dig into why is it hard. So let me just start with this. What else in life is hard or that hard? I'm just curious. Is starting a business that hard? Getting, I don't is know. Getting, we got lucky. Is getting in shape that hard? Not for me. If you wait, you know when getting shape is really hard? If you let it get really bad uh -huh. before you try to make it good. So I'm just, I'm, what I'm trying to establish is where in the list of normal person endeavors are relationships. No, it's the hardest thing. That's my It's point. the hardest. It's okay. the hardest thing. So I think that's be, that has to be because of the structure of what we expect from them, which we talked about, uh, or from the ex it's the expectation that we put on it like yeah. what what a relationship is expected to be and so we talked about it might end but the other thing that i've mentioned in some of the videos is that people are looking for mommy and daddy mm -hmm. and the reason that people do not fight with their friend of 15 years i mean you and i have argued at times we've we've lived in a home uh, we've we've been close to married <laughs> for a long time and we we do not fight anywhere near what i would expect a couple to mm -hmm. at that amount of time and i think it's cuz i don't expect you to be my mommy or to my daddy. To complete you. To complete me. You complete me. What's that from? Everything. <laughs> you. That's uh, Tom Cruise, baby. That's, Is it? Yeah. Jerry Maguire? You complete me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, you don't expect a friend to complete you. And therefore, we fight way less, mm -hmm. have been friends for over half of our lives, have lived together for years. Yeah. Uh, and... Had to stop living together because we didn't like each other's girlfriends. girlfriends too, who we were like, no, that she was expected to complete. Yours was expected to complete you. Mine was expected yeah, to complete yeah. me. Uh, I think uh, that's... Oh, my best friend. I've stopped living with him. Reasonable. So why is this hard? It's because of it's because of the culture. It's because of the songs. It's because when you break up, Ed Sheeran pops on the radio yeah. talking about 70. You know, I can't even do that. If I could hum on pitch, we would get demonetized. <laughs> but I haven't been practicing, so we're okay. <laughs> uh all of that stuff is, I think, what makes it so hard. Sure. It's it's the expectation that A, lasts forever, which is unreal, and the expectation that everyone has that this person is going to make everything better. And you see it in the early phases of a relationship where it's all they think about. Why? No one else wants to spend all that time with this individual. No offense to everyone out there. They're not They're not universally, objectively incredible yeah, by yeah, everyone else's standards. Yeah, that is fun when you, when you meet somebody <laughs> or somebody meets someone for the first time. And it's like, I just want to spend all my time with no you. No one else does. And it's, yeah, it's, you just got to reflect. This person has best friends that they've known for years <laughs> that do not want to see this person seven hours a day. Yeah. There may be something happening here. Projection is what's happening. Well, projection might not be the right psychological term. Uh, whatever it is, when you, ex when you see uh, better traits, your mother, your father, you feel completed by their presence. They validate you in a deep way that no one else possibly could. Yeah. That is almost... Uh, it's only it's only loosely related to their actual behavior because if it was one to one with their behavior, everyone would want to spend seven and hours a day with yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only you, so it's not exactly what they're doing or who they are. And I think that one of the things that will hopefully make my relationships better is trying to 
fix the mommy daddy trauma that every person has which in short is expecting someone to complete you to make things okay in this reality uh and that's you can't get that i don't think you got that when you were little and it's if you're lucky you got that when you were little and it's gone it's over time to grow up nah <laughs> nah dude i'm just looking for my jasmine man just looking for my jasmine your princess jasmine your magic carpet ride dude it's a whole new world you'll understand and then you have to stop watching tv and listen everybody to music. charlie will understand when he finds love i would i because we often do we that's can, my favorite thing yeah. you'll change you'll know you just never found love man yeah we get well i i have had my heart broken and i did have what i thought was that and and i'm you know not to be bitter on the other side of it but i'm glad that i had that experience and came out and now when i think of that person i wish them well but it's like what i was so ridiculously certain yeah. <laughs> like how, how did that change occur um but yeah the, the last thing is stop watching television and movies and rom-coms they will mess you up that is porno it's pornographic uh, it, it does what it does to your emotions, what pornography does to sex. It makes it this heightened thing that you can't possibly the real world live up to. And then you, then you get erectile issues and <laughs> all sorts of things. It's actually, it's, it's happening less and less though, which is fun. There's this thing on Netflix, Paul Rudd's in it, living with yourself. I think it's called, I might be getting the title wrong, mm -hmm. but the, he, the plot of it is partially that their marriage is hard. Yeah. I think there is starting to be a change where people show relationships no more leave more to more accurately there's one there's one that's all about single parents i forget what it's about and i'm sure it, i'm sure it's it's a comedy so it probably makes it look more fun and yeah, yeah. less hard but it does center sometimes around the fact that it's hard to mm -hmm. be a single parent so i think the actual reality changed and then entertainment is slowly catching up yeah all this to say or not to not to be left out is that i'm not anti-relationships I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging a shift on the expectations placed upon those relationships. Yep. Uh, so they can still be great. You can still start a family. You can still do all of those things. But the two fundamental changes for, for me that I would recommend you consider are the forever aspect of it. Uh, that's a really tough one. And the you complete me aspect of it. I think that makes it very, very difficult. And may I just say that your relationships in life are everything. <laughs> and true love conquers all. Yeah. So... <laughs> At the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, Charlie's wrong. <laughs> Anything else? Yeah, I got two more things. Well, one more thing. I'll cut the last one. So that I don't even know how to say this. James Harden is so good at basketball. <laughs> and I think, no, I'm going to tie this into people that don't like basketball, but he is absurd. There was a play. Kawhi Leonard is the best defender in the NBA. Mm -hmm. He hits a step back three on Kawhi Leonard, shoots the ball. And before it goes in, slaps him on the butt and starts running back because he knows it's him. <laughs> and it is insanity. And he is doing things, and Steph Curry was the same, that people would have told you were impossible or were bad shots 20 years ago. And they do them regularly. And it reminds me of the four-minute mile, yeah. which was impossible to break, and then one person broke it, and then everyone broke it. And there's a guy named Carl uh, Anthony Towns who is 7-1, I think. And he is an insane three-point shooter, better than the best three-point shooter from the 90s. Yeah. And as I'm watching all of this unfold, it made me realize that probably, definitely in all sports and probably in all aspects of life, there are these fake bumpers or these fake limiters that we have just assumed mm -hmm. are, this is impossible, this is the way you do it, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And it's totally bogus. And when somebody is gifted enough and creative enough to think outside of that box, they become the best in the world. 
And we've seen it happen in running, seen it happen in basketball. I'm sure it's happened in all sports. And I just thought it was fascinating. I don't really know how to apply it to my own life, uh. but I was just watching it this morning. I'm like, God, this is insanity. This would have been called impossible 10 years ago. And I'm sure there's areas in my own life that are similarly self-limited. Yeah. Well, I think I wonder how that happened because we grew up and my dad was our basketball coach. And if you didn't toe the line on a three and you weren't the good three-point shooter, it was a bad shot. Sure. You should, and, and that is honestly, partially, that's true for young kids. It's much harder for a kid to reach the rim at the three-point sure. line. We never adjusted for growing up and being like, oh, I can, I can still do this mostly from my arms, especially if you're seven feet tall. The other James Harden thing is uh, I think he reads the rules oh, yeah. really closely because he's mastered what I think is, I, I guess I have to accept it, the cheat gather which is like the ball's down and he lifts his hand up so he's so he gets extra steps before he technically grabs the ball. And so I love it. You hate it. I love it. He can just run down the court essentially without having to dribble for the last 3 or 4 steps. Yeah. And he does what is definitely a travel, the 1 2 3 4, the the quick the quick step back step back to get mm, even farther away. Depends which depends what time. Depends which time. Depends what time. Depends which time. And sometimes it's close, he, sometimes he, he gets He knows it off. the definition of a travel better than the refs do. Yes. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. This was the Tim Ferriss thing in the four-hour work week, and I and I, he he cut weight in Japan to compete in in sumo, sumo competitions mm-hmm. and crushed people because he came in 15, 20 pounds heavier. Mm-hmm. And I don't. Yeah, he took the wrestling weight yeah. cut from the U.S. and brought it into sumo where they didn't do weight cutting. Yeah. And then he was sumo wrestling against technically better wrestlers yeah. who were forty pounds Smaller. lighter than him. Well, hopefully not forty. No, he's <laughs> an insane weight cutter. Yeah. Insanity, dude. That's that's not good for you. Yeah. Maybe twenty-five, but. My way, I, I cut seven pounds of yeah. water. He's, he was cutting a lot. Well, I didn't, yeah, I don't love that stuff, but what he said, and I believe, like James Harden officially changed the sport. The rules are different now. Uh, Tim Ferriss said, he's like, now it's common practice for people in, in these, at least at the level that he was doing it, to cut weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, you almost need these fresh eyes. The other, Malcolm Gladwell talks about the guy who was, I believe he was an Indian father. Do you know the story? No. He was coaching his girls, like young girls basketball team. And he had the worst team because probably like we've experienced this. When you show up to these drafts, we coached my little brother and we didn't know any of the kids. And so all these dads get together to tell you, oh, you got to take this kid, got to take this kid. And you wind up with the most misfit bunch of troublemakers that are not actually very good at basketball. Uh, So he winds up with this team that isn't very good. And he's an Indian guy and he's just there for his daughter. and And he says, why do you guys not play defense until that line? Are you allowed? And he says, "Yeah, we just don't." He's like, "Why wouldn't we just play defense starting oh, he over doesn't there?" Know basketball. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's never played. He doesn't basketball. get it. So <laughs> he just goes, "Well, just play defense the whole time." So he's like, "Why would you start at half court instead of just there?" And yeah. so they do. And of course, at that age with young girls, it's a turnover every time, yeah. right? And so they run a full court press the whole game. Go to like nationals. I think oh, they might. Wow. Yeah, with this like team, <laughs> and. And was able to win by by changing the rules. It's, yeah. it's, it's in David and Goliath, or I think the book is called something like that. But the the point being that, yeah, there's all these. It's the elephant with the stake in the ground that thinks that the rule book prohibits it, but yeah. hasn't actually tested it. Uh, it's worth thinking about. There's all these. We've been talking a lot about interesting mental heuristics that you could play with to be more creative, and we should figure out how to apply them because. One, it'd be good for us, and two, it'd be super fascinating to yeah. teach other people. No, and I think, it, but I do want to clarify because there's there's Tim Ferriss cutting weight or the full court press, where it's something that people knew humans could do but didn't apply ah, to that sport, it. right? Yeah, yeah. James Harden with the carry, he's reading the rules very specifically. He knows what a travel is. 
But there's also the four minute mile, mm -hmm. Steph Curry shooting from the logo and James Harden doing a step back behind the back three, which is things that people just said were, were not yeah. physically possible to do well. Mm -hmm. And now everyone is doing it. In five years, everyone is going to be shooting like James Harden because they're all watching it at age 12 going, yeah. oh, I that's, can do that. that's doable. But 10 years ago, if you saw someone practicing it, you're going, don't do that. That's a waste. You'll never be good at that. Yeah. And I just think that that's so fascinating because you just have to be stubborn enough to think, no, I am good enough to do this. I am good enough to run a four minute mile or I am good enough to shoot from the logo. And then once you do, everyone else goes, oh. Yeah, it's, there's a bit of survivor bias there because of how course. many people are doing crazy things that don't work out? And where do you want to be? Do you want to be the first guy or the fast follower? I, I think you want to be the fast follower because the first guy, if he looks to his left and right, has got, you know, a hundred other first guys and different things that didn't work out for them. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it depends. If you're not good at it, then yeah, sure. If you're already not a good shooter, don't try to shoot like James Harden. But I think Steph Curry's thing of, I shoot amazingly from 33 feet. I think I can do it from 35 feet. I don't know. I, I have a lot of respect for the first mover, I guess. Yeah, yeah. For the guy that goes, no, nah, this is... This well, is what he could thing. have said to be, uh, and he uh, he clearly made the right choice for his career. But what he could have said is, "I'm going to perfect my layup. I'm going to perfect driving on five guys. Yeah. I'm going to put all this." People said I couldn't drive on five people at once. I'm going to, and maybe in 20 years that'll be the thing. Somebody yeah, who yeah, can yeah. just, well, you it's know, still, it's weirdly enough, it's also Steph Curry. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Still can. <laughs> he can. He's the smallest guy on the it's court because he spreads the court. But you know what I'm saying? Like five guys packed down there, they could just bust it over and dunk on him. The LeBron James, <laughs> right? Yeah. Anyway. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know how to know which one is going to work, but it seems like it's worth at the very least experimenting with something outlandish Yeah. every now and then if you enjoy it. And then most of the times it won't work out, and every now and then you'll be James Harden. <laughs> it's just so dirty. It's just a filthy play. Yeah. It's an impossible shot, and then he just pats Kawhi Leonard on the butt and starts walking back before the ball even drops. I have to watch this. I want to check it out. Anything else? No. That's it. Cool. What we got? Uh, so we have some questions. You want to do those? Yeah. So Sarah asks, what is your take on reasonably intelligent and discerning people choosing romantic partners that don't align with their values outside of attraction? Many people close to me are in serious relationships with mates that they would unlikely be friends with otherwise. I feel like this is regarded as normal and can't make sense of why it's the status quo. Ideas? I told, I told Angel to pick this one. Yeah, why? <laughs> <laughs> Charlie and I have been guilty of this in the past. That's why when I saw this question, I told Angel he should grab it. I think I'll forever be guilty of this. I can't imagine not being guilty of this. It's very I've moved increasingly in the direction of, of people that are closer to a friend, but closer to be your romantic relationships are becoming more similar to friendships, but you're not picking partners that your friends would be friends with independently. Of you. I'm getting closer, certainly closer. I mean, yeah, yeah, sure. Closer. <laughs> come on, man. Well, it all depends where you start. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I would love to talk to the person who asked this question because it's shocking to me that somebody can start a relationship with friendship being the foundation as opposed to what I described earlier in the podcast, which is attraction both physically and because you remind me of the feminine caregiver that I had when I was little and that makes me feel safe and, and all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. uh, well, can I describe it? I mean, yeah, it's not it's not a thoughtful, uh, it's not a good plan. <laughs> it's just well, what I happens. Think, yeah, yeah. I mean, let me know if I stray from answering this question, but 
it's not a decision you make with your front brain. No, I don't think. I think when you you're picking to date someone, often you are not going. I'm going to look at where they went to school, what they do for a living. We're going to discuss our shared uh, values. Yeah, life plan. You should do these things, maybe, but well, I don't really care what school you went to. But the it's a feeling. That's what makes it so addicting. That's what makes it so euphoric. Is you you find this person, and for reasons you can't explain they make you feel a way that your friends don't that's mm -hmm. the appeal that's why you want to spend all your time with them yeah so yeah the reason it happens is because nobody is using a diagnostic tool it's their amygdala or their subconscious is the one that is choosing for them and then their front brain has the potentially difficult task of justifying the decision to their friends yeah because what you can't in a lot of cases admit to yourself or say to other people is I don't care that this isn't someone <laughs> that I are, we don't have with. shared values. I don't so care don't that we're from different whatever it is, because the feeling I get is that this person is my other half or something I've been longing for, or they make me feel at peace in a way that I've never felt before. And your friends will just look at you like you're insane. So now your front brain has to justify why this person who you're actually with because of those feelings is in fact a good match for you. Yeah. But that's yeah, certainly that's in my experience and watching my friends, that's how the decision gets made behind the scenes. <laughs> totally. And I think that starts like, why does this happen? I suspect it's biological is that, uh, there's the sexual component, which isn't going, do we have shared values? Do we have this, that, and the other thing? It's like, no, do our, do I think our genes and, and are, are going to be a good match right now? Mm -hmm. Uh, then on top of that, there's this cultural thing. And if you think back, Romeo and Juliet knew each other for three days before they killed themselves because they couldn't be together at age, 15 mm -hmm. <laughs> right they were from warring families no shared values they didn't know anything about one another uh that i don't know if there's a more iconic love story mm -hmm. ever and if you look at, at all media ask yourself how long did they know each other did they sit down Dude, the little mermaid <laughs> gives up her voice <laughs> yeah before she speaks to the guy yeah because uh, she sees him and 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 this is what people grew up with i mean who's your favorite disney princess all of them at least from my era just gave it all up for for a guy that they didn't know yeah, yeah. uh sleeping beauty didn't she was unconscious. She was unconscious, and and well, he he came searching for a person that he didn't even know because yeah, yeah, she saying, was beautiful. But it's the but it's the prince's fault. It, it's that's the what prince. I'm the prince goes hunting for someone who is pretty <laughs> to yeah. to kiss. Allegedly, uh, <laughs> allegedly pretty. Allegedly. Never seen her. Uh, and so, c congratulations if this is baffling to you, <laughs> yeah, because you're more likely to have stable, solid. Uh, drama-free or mostly drama-free relationships so you don't get that high but oh my gosh it's a drug that it's, euphoric that's, that's, drug maybe that's the question that should be asked why do people do drugs is is well imagine that there's a drug that is culturally approved but like starts, everyone's telling you should free. do it starts out free and shows up at your house uh that's why it's 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 the same high and yeah. it's, i guess it's a different high it, it has a similar impact on people's decision making skills so no I, and there's something that you shared with me because you were dating someone i was like dude i don't get it i really don't get it and we had a pretty honest conversation mm -hmm. and, and you said something that stuck with me because i thought it was so interesting which was like listen if i want to enter interesting conversations about politics or something of that sort yes i'll go to my friends and not to my girlfriend but when we are together when we've just had sex or we've just whatever it is the the peace the internal peace yes. the quieting of the mind the sense that life is done uh, or good or whatever it is you said you can't you couldn't get that feeling from anyone else mm -hmm. except for her and that was the first time i was like okay 
I can't get it because I'm not experiencing it, but I under, I understand now you're not with this person because of your experience is similar to my experience with her, which mm -hmm. is just like bad conversations. There's something occurring when you two are alone that is wholly different from my experience with her or your experience with anyone else. Yeah. Right. And that's why you became so obsessed with her. I mean, you would, it sounds like an opioid addiction, right? It's just peace. And that, that was the truth. It was, it was, yeah, it was, like, oh. it was, it was, a, it was a sigh, a breath out, a comfort, the, uh, and I've talked a lot about this. People are going to think that I'm crazy, but I really do think that your, your parents have a traumatic, traumatic, dramatic well, impact. Maybe on, both. It was on purpose. Maybe both. Uh, dramatic impact on the type of person that you choose. But when you find someone that that reflects the type of love that you wanted to receive or maybe even did receive as a young person, uh, the back of your brain that remembers what it was like to be zero years old, which, by the way, it does. I mean, you learn to walk before you can remember, right? Like you're recording even though you don't remember it that whole period that, that learned what love is and then you experience that sense of that early love is like, oh, my God, like we've done it. We're back. Yeah. It's okay. What's it's, the book? There's a book that first turned you on to this idea. Yeah. Right? I would have to dig it up. Getting for the, the love you need. Oh, it could be it. Is it that could what be it's it. called? Yeah. And there's there's a lot. So it's not just one book. It's it's Yeah, I know you're synthesizing a bunch yeah. of books, but people have said when you guys reference stuff, it's helpful I, to know the title. I believe it's called wanna... Getting the Love You Need if you want to write that for the notes, Angel. Um Yeah, that's that's the one. And so I think that's why. And then it's it's an opioid. It's it's so it's uh. <laughs> yeah no and then if you want to work on a little bit of um empathy towards these people because i know at first for me and maybe based on your question for you there's a bit of judgment like why are you doing this this mm -hmm. person is a terrible match for you if you want to work on your empathy for them uh they're getting something from that person that is wholly unique in their mind to that person and that is very different from your experience with them mm -hmm. so it's very hard to be judgmental well you can be judgmental whatever you want but i don't know what your experience with your girlfriend is like just because i've had dinner with her you know what i mean like the triggers that she's hitting in your subconscious mm -hmm. the emotions she's making you feel the dopamine and serotonin that you're getting are completely different than just the pleasure of being in her presence and talking to her yeah it's something that that it means something to your brain mm -hmm. you know what i mean that it doesn't to everyone else in the world yeah yeah I think that's why <laughs> it's my best guess. At least I'm still working on it. Yeah. Trying to date. I trust. I get it though. Friends. Trust me. I'd love if Charlie would date people that I would be friends with. <laughs> working on it. What else we got? The next question comes from a uh, runer. What's your take on Tony Robbins and Dean? Uh, Graciosi. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> online course about how to make online courses. Is it getting too meta? Would love to hear your take on it since you are selling uh charisma university. I've not taken the course, so I I don't know. Uh, it could be good. I think that there is maybe just in this sphere that I've been paying attention to, because I mentioned that I watch Coffee Break, and he has a channel where he talks about fake gurus. Mm -hmm. um, I think that sometimes there's a conflation of anyone who teaches someone how to start a business or make money is doing something bad, mm -hmm. because perhaps the majority, and I would agree yeah, with yeah, that Yeah, 95%. Statement, <laughs> the majority are... Uh, are or either lifting someone else's work wholesale or are uh haven't done it themselves and are mm -hmm. making the money that they make by promising other people that they'll make money and because they never made it in the first place they don't have an effective strategy to teach them sure what i like about tony teaching business courses yeah is that there are people who will claim to you 
I can teach you how to make money online because I've made $10 million, let's mm -hmm. say. But those $10 million were all made teaching people how to make money online. So mm -hmm. all you can do is teach other people how to form this weird pyramid scheme of gurus, yeah. right? Where the person at the top teaches this person how to make money by becoming a guru, who teaches this person how to make money by becoming a guru. Tony has built a $500 million company, I think, before he was teaching people about business because he was doing life-changing interventions. Yeah. So he is certainly- he was curing phobias. If you look at his past, he has he he taught business, but he did phobia cures. He did family and relationships. He yeah. did peak performance. He did athlete training for uh, Serena Williams and, my, and yeah, big my, names. And he built an organization. He yeah. built a team. My, and my point is he's built a business that is about more than just teaching you how to make money. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is totally okay. If Richard Branson <laughs> released an online course about how to be an entrepreneur, I would not begrudge him yeah. because he's an insanely successful entrepreneur. Yeah. So the only people I think shouldn't be teaching how to make money online are the ones that have never made money except for by teaching people how to make money. Because mm -hmm. then you're in this weird pyramid scheme. But if you've built an empire and then you want to teach people how to do it, I don't think there's something wrong with that. Yeah, no, and not necessarily. I've and never then, taken the course. Exactly. And philosophically, so the, I'm, I'm only opposed to people who are forming this weird pyramid scheme of make money online. Sure. And so then it would what, what Ben is saying is got nothing against it. And the value of this particular course would have to do with this particular course. Mm -hmm. Now, the nature of all of these things, and I think a reason that these get, well, I don't know if it's a bad rap or a good rap, but something that you have to except about Tony Robbins charisma on command everything is that people usually don't change like that is uh they change over time guaranteed who you are at 65 is not going to be who you were at 35 but when it comes to desire changes to lose weight get a promotion uh get, get the love of your life be more charismatic start a business most of those attempts will be unsuccessful when people buy books most people will not I believe it's start the book and certainly I could be wrong there, but definitely most will not finish that book. Yes, 10%, right? Uh, so, well, again, who knows these numbers? I don't know where they're, where they're generated, sure. but my own anecdotal experience tells me that people do not finish books. Uh, and there could be lots of good reasons for that. But what that means is that you have a guru or a person over here who is teaching some way to change, but they're working against human nature, which is, I'm not going to improve in this. And then so what happens is a guru will have a success rate that is, I don't know, 5%, 10%, whatever. And people go, look, 95% of the people didn't get the outcome. But what they don't realize is that separate from this, if those people had done it, only 0.1% or 0.2% will have gotten the outcome. So whenever you buy our course or any other course, I mean, we try our best to make this thing some something that people will go all the way through. But change ultimately it's got to be practice it's got to be done it, it works over time mm -hmm. all of those sorts of things are in play uh so i think that tony robbins is excellent while recognizing that most people that come across a lot of his stuff will not implement it not see benefits from it sure. and might think that he is lame because of it and all i can do is say please stick with it please go through it i found personal power too to be amazing it's awesome i would recommend it to anyone and i feel similarly to charisma on command but part of the reason we offer a money back guarantee is because of the industry that we're in. Like if you don't go through it and you don't practice it and you don't stick with it, don't expect anything to be different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's funny is weirdly enough, the good feeling often comes from buying the course yeah. or joining the program, Yep. which is funny because for, I'll say personal power too, right? So it's not totally self-promotional. That yeah. was really good for my life. I went through it twice. 
if I told someone that was an incredible life-changing course and they bought it, they might feel really good that yeah, day. Yeah. They go, oh, I bought this. I'm going to change. This is going to be sick. And they go through it for three days and then life gets busy and they forget. And then they come to me, they go, oh, I, did, I didn't really like that course. Well, you did three days. Yeah, it's a 30-day yeah. program. Yeah. Like, of course, you, didn't need, you know nothing about this course. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's the unfortunate thing that happens. People buy it. They feel good and they allow themselves to feel good for the joining of it. And then they don't complete it. <laughs> well, there's beyond that. There's an active level of consumption that isn't present in fiction. Like if you watch all of the vendor Avengers, you've done it. You've yeah. watched all of Avengers. If you go through our course day one or personal power day one, at the end, there is an exercise to be done. Mm -hmm. If you don't do the exercise, but you watch every moment of content, it nothing, yeah, it won't yeah. do anything. Yeah. And so it, it asks even more of you than most things that you would be doing mm -hmm. right because not only do you have to consume the content you have to go apply it and that there's there's a an interaction there with reality mm -hmm. <laughs> at some point uh so what do i think about this in some can't speak to the particular merit of this course uh i think that these things can be really good for people yeah. but the one the one thing that i would add is that he's teaching people how to coach and i don't no, know no, what, how to make online courses so there's a lot of people teaching people how to coach, how to make online courses, how to do all this kind of stuff. My only thing that I don't know that Tony does, but that I see is that there's an often used piece of uh, sales material that is, you have something to teach the world. Yeah. And that's not true. Yeah. Necessarily. You might have something to teach the world. You could have something to teach the world. Uh, by virtue of being alive, you do not necessarily have something to teach the world yeah. uh, and that doesn't mean you need to be the best in the world in fact if you are a uh, solid violinist and you want to teach a beginner violin class great <laughs> you know what i mean you only need to be better than the people that you're that you're working with so it's so you could have something you don't necessarily but also you don't need to be the world's greatest thing to help someone who is a step back from where you are move up more quickly yeah, yeah. but also don't teach something that you're not good at yes. so for instance don't become a business coach if you've never had a successful business, mm -hmm. if you've not been successful in business. And yes. I think a lot of, that's the area where I see the most, because it's really hard to be an out of shape fitness coach, because mm -hmm. the evidence is right in front of you, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a hard thing to bluff. But I often see business coaches who have no business experience or success. And what they did was they bought a course, they took the course, they started a website, and now here they are with zero revenue telling them you that they can help you start a business mm -hmm. um so yeah please don't teach something that you're not actually better than average at sure and this is the last thing that i will say because you actually brought it up but it's an interesting distinction say there's a fitness coach that's out of shape and one that's in shape probably go with the one that's in shape but say you happen to know that the out of shape one has 10 very successful clients who have gone through and seen massive transformation and of the 10 that you know from the in shape one they're not like that what i mean to say is in that case go with the one that has the successful clients mm -hmm. uh, because while learning something oneself is incredibly important and I would never advise anyone to overlook it ultimately you're not there because someone else has done something you're there because they can help you do something right mm -hmm. so keep both in mind right look at their physique but also uh, ask about their clientele and yeah, that yeah. sort of things I don't want to beat this to death but I do want to caveat <laughs> if you're learning from a business coach be very skeptical of their case studies because mm -hmm. I know a lot of people online who make claims about what their students have done, which are kind of bullshit. And so you just want to 
don't take everything that's written on the internet as gospel. Yeah. It, as you, you know. can see, we've thought a lot about this topic. Yeah, yeah. We thought a lot about No, that. there could be a guy. I'll give you an example. I'll give you a concrete thing so I don't just sound like uh, negative on this. So there's a guy. He teaches people how to make money online. And he says one of his students has a million dollar business because one month they had $80,000 of revenue, mm -hmm. right? What you don't realize is one, that's not a million dollar business. If it was a launch based business, that might be the only $80,000. A launch. So just let's clarify a launch based business means that on one particular month, they sell a lot of product and then maybe not again the yeah. next month. So they made 80 grand that month and he's going, it's a million dollar business. This could be an $80,000 business, right? Because it might be that that's the only month they made money. Right. So and let me just slow you down. So to get to a million, you need 83 grand a month repeated yeah. every month. So months. that's why Ben is saying 80. But sorry, go ahead. And. That's $80,000 of revenue. Mm -hmm. So if they sell physical products, then half of that, let's say, or a third of that or a quarter of that is going to be gone. Mm -hmm. And if they sell it with ads, then some of that money has to go to ads, which means mm -hmm. you might be looking at a business that makes 40 grand of profit mm -hmm. in the whole year being called a million dollar business because one month it made 80 grand of revenue. Mm -hmm. So that's a real example that I know of. So I would just say, yes, when you're hiring a coach, all that really matters is their ability to teach you. And the best way to know that is to look at their clients. And you can have an out of shape coach who is an excellent sports coach. Yeah. That said, when you see an online business coach claiming that the people they teach are making millions of dollars, it might be true and it might be really fuzzy math that's meant to convince you that they can help you more than they actually can. Yeah, so dig in. And and we've said this before, but I'll I'll tell you the programs that I think are worth it. Uh, marketing step by step mm -hmm. by Evan, Evan Pagan. Pagan. <laughs> For some reason, they make it incredibly hard to find. <laughs> someone, someone hit me up on Instagram. They said they bought it because of us. Cool. He said I, I want to. He offered to pay me because the advice was good, and I asked him to donate mm -hmm. to Charity Water. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he, they did it. People, people are joining marketing step by step because of the podcast, which is uh, cool. That one's excellent. Did, were there any? The person. I mean, this is separate. Personal power too is about getting moving in your life. And you can apply it to your relationships. You can apply it to business. But yeah, it really, that's probably the best personal development. Personal development. So if you want to yeah, learn entrepreneurship, Robbins, you learn entrepreneurship for our work week, marketing step by step. Uh, there's a book called Running Lean. You can try to find this thing called Pre-Sell Formula by Clay Collins. Mm -hmm. If you're interested in personal development, you're like, I have a job. I don't care about entrepreneurship. Personal Power 2 by Tony Robbins. Probably the best mm -hmm. just overall life improving course. And you have to do it every day. Yeah. And we haven't taken any of, because there's this new era of, start an online course businesses that did not exist when ben and i were coming up so no comment on on the yeah if it's, if it's started in the last four years i have probably haven't seen it. yeah so so no comment not saying that they're necessarily bad i just don't know uh and if you want to be charismatic <laughs> your best bet is charisma university <laughs> that's what i think at least uh that's my unbiased opinion. <laughs> my unbiased opinion and if you want to learn 45 minutes of youtube stuff i'll be a trafficking conversion summit <laughs> Do we have more questions? Mm -hmm. Got a couple of them. Went hard at that. We've thought a lot about that. Yeah. Uh, Patrick, a lot of layers, you know? Sorry. Go ahead. No, sorry. Um, Patrick wants to know, how do you deal with repressed anger? I think Charlie had some experience with this, if I remember his ayahuasca account correctly. Radical Honesty talks about letting it out and allowing yourself to be pissed, but I find it difficult because of my agreeable nature. Mm. Also, when I get angry, my own perception gets obscured, so I'm afraid of doing or saying something uh in um that would damage relationships sorry i'd like to express this anger in a way that i won't regret thoughts sure first off shout out to you for reading radical honesty good one talking about most people don't take action 
good for you, man. Taking action. Or lady. We need to have one of those little DJ booth things where they go, you know, you get like a round of applause. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's dope. Yay. Listen, heard a recommendation, got the book, and they're going through it. Yeah, that's it's excellent. Awesome. So I'll zoom out first. It is unfortunate that expressing anger, we, that, we, that we have cultivated a culture to a degree where expressing anger really threatens the relationship. And the world that you would love to have radical honesty in that this guy tries to carve out for himself, the author, is where you can express anger and it can be understood to have been released and untrue 30 minutes later. I no longer feel that way. I no longer think you're terrible. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've moved on. I've moved on. That's not the world that most of us live in. Mm -hmm. So how do you let the anger out? Well, the, the first experience that I ever had with this was in uh, a program. It was called Choice Center. I don't necessarily recommend it. It can get very salesy. But uh, they they put you in a room for four days in a row. They, they piss you off. <laughs> and by day three, they have you like wail on. Well, I'm not supposed to talk about this. This is a, supposed to be a secret. I'm breaking integrity. Well, I actually didn't promise. Be, you can be vague if you want. Well, I'm trying to think what I said to them. I'm trying to think if I actually promised not to tell other people. I can't remember at this point. So I'll be vague. They have you uh, get, it, get it out. Scream it out. Uh, you could do this thing versus uh, you could do this thing at grounding camp. I went to Elliot Hulse. No, no secrets there. You run around in circles. You do mosh pits. You get it and you scream at a partner. And what happens is at first you're just yelling. You're just like, I'm at an event and I'm screaming. And then what you see is something flips in people. And it's kind of like you took a lid off of something and it was just, you know, a little bit of smoke. And then a volcano erupts. And you're like, what is coming out of me? Like, what is this sadness, this anger? You give it a chance to come out and it does. Um, That's fascinating. So so you start off, it's, he says, everyone run around and scream at each other. So you're just running around. You do like, like a mosh pit. You're like, kind of like a smile. You're fun. like smiling. You're like, yeah. oh, <laughs> screw you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. screw you. But yeah. halfway through, it just flips into actually your rage is coming out. And so everyone has different things that trigger them. So I don't know that I'd got a ton of anger at that, but I saw people that, that had it. And then I saw people just break down and cry. Like I saw, I saw a lot of cathartic experiences mm -hmm. there. Um, so that he engages that through what is called bioenergetics, a lot of movement, and he, and he uses the body to get into it. There's another way. We have a course that we don't often talk about because it's, it's just so different from what most people are looking for. It's called emotional mastery. And within that course, there are these meditations where you're instructed to go back through previous experiences and memories, and what often happens is you'll get triggered. And you do this in a quiet place so that if it does happen, you can scream into a pillow or, or that sort of stuff. Uh, so all of these are, are, there's different ways to anger. That is to say, now the other one that you mentioned, radical honesty, Ben and I have done, we've done, we had one radical honesty where we started, we're like, I don't have anything to say. Yeah, and you're yeah, like, yeah. me neither. And we started and then it went and it was like tense. Yeah. It, it, and it, same thing. You open the lid, you're like, there's nothing in here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so doing the exercise with someone and just going through that practice of, I resent, I don't know, that you were, like, rude yesterday, whatever, you know, and you do it, like, six times, and yeah, then you something get there. pops. Yeah, And you'll feel it. you feel it. Uh, so that's, those are a, a panoply of options, if so, you will. So, yeah, my thing for, I have a question for you. Do you think you need to direct the repressed anger at the person that it is caused by? Because for me, what I found, I similarly, you know, was repressing sadness and anger pretty aggressively. And 
I found that even just expressing it at all yeah. was very helpful. So I, someone triggered me and I was pissed. And normally what I would do is I'd sit down and I'd just gather myself, right? I'd be like, yeah, just get, get control, maintain control, right? I don't know why, but that's just my goat. When you ever have a strong negative emotion, you just take control of it, which just means repressing it. Mm-hmm. And instead, I went, all right, I'm going to let this bad boy out. And I grabbed some pillows and I just started smashing them around my yeah. room. And I didn't talk to the person that had triggered me necessarily in that state of anger. I actually waited till after the anger had passed and yeah. then I went and talked to them. But I found that to be really helpful. So I don't know if you agree or disagree with that I do, solution. Well, but I think that there's stages. And I think the first one is to get in touch with it. And so if you're describing like, I'm not in touch with this, do it by yourself first. It can often be the best way to do it. And I actually really advise that that path. Yeah, it allowed me to talk to the person about what had made me angry without just screaming and being completely a lunatic. Also, you didn't really know it until you experienced it. You know what I mean? Like, as is often the case, you don't realize how angry or what made you angry or the feeling. And so the first thing is to stop lying to yourself. And and that means you experience the emotion in its totality. Uh, you can, if it helps, get the body involved, but you can also just breathe and feel the tension in your fists or whatever. Like, you can feel that emotion move through you. There's also, there's a hundred, I've done all these different modalities. There's a, it is called, it's a type of therapy. It begins with a somatic therapy. Waking the Tiger is the book that sort of talks about it, but you sit there and you, and you pay close attention to the inner feelings of your body and how tension sort of moves and you don't treat it as a static thing. You pay close attention to be like, okay, now it's in my fists. Now it's moving into my elbows and it's in my back. Like, and whoop, it's going away. Uh, that helps you move through an emotion because an emotion isn't static if you pay attention to what it does to your body. It starts in your chest, it radiates out, it comes back. And once it's kind of taken its shape, it can settle. Uh, so once you've done that, you'll have a much closer grip on it. And then, like Ben said, if there's still anger that needs to be expressed, you can often do it in the context of the radical honesty. I resent you for with some control over that situation mm. while still being very honest about it. Yeah. Well, it's not even control because I do think a- anger burns itself out. Sure. So it's it's not – that's the difference, I guess. I used to be like, all right, breathe heavy, get in control of your anger. If you flip out in your room, smashing pillows together and screaming and whatever, at least for me, after a couple of minutes, you're kind of burned out. Yes. And then you can go talk to the person and you don't have any anger. Though They might re-spark you a little, but you don't have to control that anger you felt two minutes ago because it's just kind of gone. Yep. And I think that's the benefit of it is if you control it and repress it, it's still in there. And you might unleash it on the person or you might unleash it on someone else that does something minor that day. Mm-hmm. But yeah, once it flows out of you, it's kind of... It's not there anymore. You've burned through that fuel. And so then I think you can have the conversation and you don't have to control anything because now you have to recreate the fuel. Exactly. Well, it's like what the a good metaphor for this is that most people experience their emotions as a lake and their their face is a dam and they're just trying to hold everything back Mm -hmm. because there's so much back there. When you get rid of the dam and you start to allow this stuff to come out, it moves like more like a river, which means that by simply waiting, the anger burns itself out and it's gone. Sadness burns itself out and it's gone and, and just new stuff is there. And that's the goal is not to never feel angry or sad. It's just to have it move through you and then be like, okay, you know, I, I, I experienced it. Uh, but in order to get rid of the damn, yeah, you have to experience it. Yeah, and if you're just starting out, you might have a lot. Yeah, it could take to, a while. You might have a lot of rage to work through. This is where the reservoir analogy is very helpful because it can feel like, no, this is still a lake. <laughs> like it's yeah. not going anywhere. It's like, no, you're, you are draining the reservoir. 
uh, you just have a lot yeah. back there, and it will it will get more river like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in time. That was a confusing thing for me because I was like, I'm crying all the time. Why am I sad? It's like you just got you got you haven't cried. Yeah, you, you got know? ten years. You of sadness, got ten yeah. years. Ten years of things you're sad about that you haven't you haven't ever addressed. Uh, so, any other questions that we have? We've been, we've really taken our time on these ones. Well, we've got one more. Milking and- it. We're milking it. <laughs> We've got one more question, and I apologize. It's a little heavy. Um, it's very simple. Jessica has a personal question for you guys. She just wants to know, what has been the lowest points or moments in your life? In my life? Do you want to go first? I've been so blessed, man. I, I'm i very fortunate. Yeah. So I'll just – I can recount some of them. When I was a child, my grandpa died of cancer. He was also my child's psychiatrist, I think Psychologist. it is. But did he give you meds? No. Psychologist. Psychologist. Sure. He helped me with it at the time. Apparently, I had a lot of rage issues as a child. <laughs> Langry boy. I was the kind of kid that would lose a board game and ru- just break it forever. <laughs> I had some rage. And so, obviously, I was really close to him. He yeah. was helping me a lot emotionally, and then he passed away. So, that was very upsetting. Um, my uncle died of a heart attack when I was, you know, early 20s. That was upsetting. Uh, this is going to sound very lame but it's true when i had a breakup when i was 19 <laughs> i entered a little depression probably for a little second not a, not not a bad one but i was very sad um there was another one but i don't remember it now that's what comes to mind not was it after that not that i can remember all right, well, that's it. Then, then one repressed one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it? <laughs> one big repressing. Oh, I remember. I remember. Because uh, I saw this question beforehand. There was one. It wasn't. A, it's not a sad low point, but it's a low point. Yeah. I was in investment banking, and I had just worked for literally 36 hours straight. So no sleep at a computer the whole time, right? Your eyes hurt. I'm just covered in like this weird film of <laughs> not real sweat, but like yeah, just yeah, yeah. Sitting like a sweat. film of sitting sweat and disgustingness and i just turned my work in but now we're in the we're in like work day you know because gotten it at nine so now it's 9 p.m right and i'm waiting for a boss to give me feedback so i can start working again at maybe 11 and so i in a daze walk into a closet (laughs) a coat closet and i take my suit jacket off and i make a pillow out of it i take my tie off and i wrap it around my eyes to make a um, blindfold yeah blindfold and I go to sleep. And as I'm laying there, I just went, the hell am I doing with my life? I worked so hard for this. Yeah. I worked so hard in school to get good grades, to get this job. And I'm just sitting it. here just covered in uh, filth. No end in sight for me. Going to get up. I told them where I was going to be. So they're going to come get me at 11 p.m. to they, go back to work. It's not even a shame. Like They're like, like this, is, this is a trooper we have right here. <laughs> I just remember going, what? How has my life devolved into this? Yeah. So that was a... Uh, hilarious not a sad low point but just a very just a low point pathetic low point it's a good one yeah that is a good one did she say low or sad it just says lowest point in your life Ooh. so lowest yeah lowest so i i i thought sad i'm sure that i have uh embarrassing points that are that are blindfolded covered in filth yeah. suit jacket moments <laughs> so yeah i similarly uh super lucky very very blessed in in the things that i'm going to list being being my low points mm-hmm. but i'll tell you the truth and and a lot of these i didn't know at the time it was in doing some of these uh exercises that i talk about where you let out sadness and you watch how these things have started to affect you this someone sounds crazy uh but when my cat died when i was six that 
I did not realize how much that affected me. And so I start doing some of these, you know, exercises and like think back to a time when, think back to a time when. And that was one of the founding incidents of deep guilt in my life because my cat got sick and she was like three years old. Uh, and, the, you know, I couldn't save her. And I like remember ta trying to talk my mom out of taking her and I get choked up. It's still like I feel it out of taking her to the vet that day and couldn't do it, you know, because she, she was so sick. She had to be put down. So that was one. And I think it uh, it was. A sub, it was because of how old I was. I mean, cats die all the time, right? If mm -hmm. some, if a cat died today, I would probably handle it a little bit better. But I took that on myself very heavily, I think. Saying it was your fault that the cat died? That I didn't do enough, yeah. And then I had all these ab weird ablutions that I would do. Like, I laid, I'm not kidding, I slept for probably another three years with my legs in a, flat on my back, in a uh, Indian-style position because my cat used to sleep in my legs. And in order to honor and to make up for everything and to apologize and like self-flagellate, I had to sleep like that for years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, there was, there was a, yeah. So that one, <laughs> that one got in there in a weird way. Uh, other sad points. Or low points. Low points. I mean, there's the work one. I, this one is, was again, not sad, but I was sitting on a bolt bus up to New York City and I was just recounting what my life was at Sensio. Uh, which was the company that I worked at. No knock on them as a company at all. But it was, I remember sitting there being like, you're a guy who puts on a suit and tie in the morning and goes in to do work that you think is dumb. And you smile and you do it and you fake it and you're false and you're a faker and the suit is fake and it's all fake. And, and what's your plan? just grow up and be 65 in the corner office doing the same like and it was just i remember sitting on that bus as i was going to visit you just being like oh my god and i was like writing an art like a, a journal entry of like you are you are so lame <laughs> <laughs> but truly no no shade on the company just wasn't for me they are I, I have to thank them because they gave me the remote work arrangement that allowed me to like step away from that from mm -hmm. that world and then get into entrepreneurship so that was one and then the breakup, yeah, same. That one, that one. The, everything surrounding my last breakup was, uh, it was a protracted period of like, I'm never going to get this again and I'm ruining it and I know I'm making the wrong decision for my life and my friends are wrong. They don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then also knowing, and this was, this was part of what complicated it, is like I was being such a drag and I knew I was being a drag, but I was so, I wanted to keep being a drag and I needed to keep being a drag. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to like make my friends help me and then ignore their advice. But they're gonna get mad at me when I ignore their advice after they help me. So do I try to get help <laughs> emotionally? <laughs> or do I, or do like, how, where am I gonna pay for this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that was, everything around that was, was low. And then the last one, uh, which sad isn't the word, uh, probably the most miserable experience in my life, and I'm not trying to turn anyone on or off, was when I was on ayahuasca. Yeah. And I, I told the story of, of what I kind of went through in a previous podcast, but that was the worst moments of my life by far. The psychic pain <laughs> of, Being of, of oh, that particular time was incomparable. Or there was a time that I did 5-MeO-DMT, and that was equally, no, in its own way, uniquely terrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... When I, when I talk about psychedelics, know that it comes with a heavy caveat that you might not have a good time, and I often don't.
but still find it, it they were still worthwhile experiences you know what's funny a lot of these low points it's more about what you think they mean than the actual experience because it's like oh you stayed up for 36 hours and you're sleeping on the ground yeah, but yeah, yeah. i was studying abroad in belgium when i was 19 and i missed a train yeah. I, I pulled a red eye to a train i slept outside in the cold in belgium on a backpack surrounded by gypsies and homeless people i didn't think it was a bad time at all yeah i thought it was a hilarious story yeah and i'm sure it was less comfortable than being on the floor in my office but to it that it was the the fact that that was my life yeah. was the sad part not actually the moment you know or with the breakup when i was 19. it's like okay i'm alone she she it's not like she followed me around everywhere i went so yeah, the yeah, moment yeah. i was sad it's like oh wow my girlfriend's not here she probably wasn't going to be here anyway yeah but in my i'm head, at work she's in never my, here in my head i was like <laughs> Oh my God, I'll never find somebody like this. Again. I was yeah. 19. I was a teenager. I'll never find someone like this again. And yeah, it's just because it meant something to me. But what I was actually doing was sit, by the way, sitting in the gym on, I remember it very vividly on like a chest press machine mm -hmm. being pouty. Yeah. But my actual experience was I was in the gym. Yeah. I loved being in the gym. So yeah, it's funny. All these, all these low points, it's, it's less about what's happening in that one minute span and it's much more about what my mind was projecting forward sure. about what it meant well that's that's with the exception of my experiences on psychedelic which were immediate <laughs> i think all almost all suffering and i guess you could put pain potentially to the one side but even a funeral is like i'm just standing here like i, yeah. I don't I, this is not someone i saw every moment well this is what tony says the difference between pain and suffering is yeah says pain is what's pain is if i cut yeah right that's pain suffering is when you are projecting into the future yeah. a pain that hasn't happened yet and you're just anxious or worried about it about how bad it's going to be mm -hmm. yeah and this is why it i mean I'm, it's interesting that you brought that up and it's a good question to be combined with this which is what's the best thing to do to live a better life if you consider that your low points are all about mind activity telling you what something means well mm -hmm. it's like meditation Eckhart Tolle retreats you know like yeah. whatever it does that can get you to use your mind as a tool to solve problems but not be used by your mind in these mm -hmm. situations because i remember and i'm sure when you have a breakup you're like please turn off please stop thinking like what you're doing right now so, like thinking about this is completely useless mm -hmm. i have no expectation that sitting up ruminating about what i've given up is going to improve anything mm -hmm. tangibly but i can't turn it off yeah and like oh man to have to have easier access to the off button of the incessant mind i think is it's why people move to ashrams and go to the top of mountains and meditate because so much all of suffering comes from comes from that have you read victor frankl's man's search for meaning yeah yeah i think it's so it's so fascinating it's it's just one man's experience right but he's in the holocaust in a concentration camp and he says that he can completely control his perception of his experience if he focuses on how he's going to use it in the future and so he's just suffering for a long time and he it's obviously awful right it's a hundred thousand mm -hmm. times worse than anything you and i have ever had to experience and at one point he goes i'm gonna take this experience i'm gonna survive i'm gonna take this experience i'm gonna teach i'm gonna teach and i'm gonna make sure that it doesn't happen again and i'm gonna share my experience with people and i'm gonna help them have better lives and it allows him to survive and thrive actually and he said mm -hmm. in the concentration camps uh, a lot of people would die around the new year because they'd make a promise to themselves because it's so brutal, right? If I just survive, just survive till the yeah. new year, just survive the new year, because they never knew so somebody might come and save them. You know, yeah. somebody might find the camp and kill the Nazis and free them. 
And then when it would hit January 3rd, which again, is no different than December 23rd, their will would just break break, yeah. and they would die because they were getting so little nutrients and anything that all, without their will, yeah. their bodies just collapsed. And that book basically highlights the same thing we're kind of talking around, which is this idea of, yeah, it's, it's your circumstances can be really, really bad. Yeah. But yeah, if you can, if you can empower your mind, you can make it through some really, really tough stuff. Well, there's, I, there's exactly two answers to this question. The first is empower your mind and to come up with a different meaning. Okay. Grandpa's dead or my cat's dead or I broke this roof on. What does this mean? Change it. Use, uh, activate your mind mm -hmm. in order to steer it in a different direction. But the Eastern senses do not empower your mind. Your mind is a crazed, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a lunatic. <laughs> well, I think it depends. I think actually it's different circumstances. So if you're us, right? Mm -hmm. Pretty pretty good life, sitting on your bed, being sad about your girlfriend, mm -hmm. you should focus on being present because you're actually just sitting in a comfortable bed in a climate controlled room. Probably you have some friends nearby or some hobbies you can do. You could have a fun present. If you're in a concentration camp, then maybe, although I guess the monks do do hunger strikes. I can tell you stories about these Tibetan monks who, who get brutalized in jail and the <sighs> stories that they tell about you know, the, the lowest moment I had was when my guard came in for the 50th day in a row to beat me and I wished him ill. <laughs> uh. and, and that was terrible. <laughs> and it's just like, I'm not saying that they enjoyed their experience, but you, there's two. No, they do go, they do go out into approaches. freezing cold mountains and go yes. no food for a week. And actually they do put themselves into physically difficult situations. Yes. Yeah, there's like the, I don't know what David Goggins would say, but it seems like there's generally an east-west approach to pain. Like west is what meaning does this have? What is mm -hmm. this greater purpose? Look to the future. You're like, and the east is like dive into this moment so deeply that it's all there is. Mm -hmm. And any moment when fully experienced is blissful, which I have not experienced yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at all. But I'm I'm today I'm more interested in the east because I have spent a lot of time doing the western mm -hmm. stuff. Uh so yeah, I, I don't know the answer, but I think it's an interesting tension. Cool. Any other thoughts? No. You're going to go east-west. I don't know. <laughs> Probably just sad. Yeah, no, I was thinking <laughs> neither. Just try to control my external circumstances. Exactly, exactly. Just avoid any sort of negative things. Yeah, that's, control. Really, that's what I've been doing pretty you actually, well. Actually, this is a really, I like this framework and we can wrap it up, but there's there's kind of three approaches. That is, there's the meaning, change the meaning. Yep. Uh dive into the moment mm -hmm. and control the world yeah are the three different things that people really yeah, try yeah, to yeah. do to, to control happiness and it does seem like yeah, i guess they all have their uses i'm not i've gone pretty i've gone pretty hard at the control your external circumstances yeah. route to to date at least yeah interesting quit the job start the business yeah uh create a very unique dating situation so that i can try to have what i want to be happy you know what's funny people who are advocates of whatever approach are they're really about their approach I don't know uh, too many Eastern people who have really explored the other sides of like meaning making. Yeah, well, uh, I'm not an ad I'm not advocating that actually. I'm going to an Eckhart Tolle event yeah, in yeah, October. Yeah. I'm not saying this is the best answer. I'm just saying it's what I've done. Is gone. I'm going to try to make my external circumstances incredible, which will insulate me from negative emotions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which of course can't last forever. No, but of course it's, not. It's a still an interesting question of like when should each one. What is the role that each one has? Well, the monk in, would just say that's stupid. Just go be, because if you can be present and blissed out, then you don't need 
to have a great dating life. You don't need to have a bunch of money. Some one monk would say that. Another monk failed, right? You know what I mean? Another monk couldn't yeah, get there. Yeah, a failed out monk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, that <laughs> stuff sucks. Exactly. I was hungry all the time. Exactly. So Old I I'd be that's a very fascinating question of what is the role in my life of each of, you know, yeah, yeah. control, surrender into the moment and make meaning. I don't know. Well, what do you do? Forget what your ideal is. What do I do? Yeah. Control. I mean, that's that's my society. I control. And then... Uh, do you think that's a U.S. mindset? Pretty solid? Yes. It used to be heavily control. And honestly, meaning-making was vying for it because we were like, oh, no, like this this struggle is about part of the bigger thing. Yeah. That was, it was meaning-making control. I would say I've dropped meaning-making very low in my list. I control, and then I do try to dive into the moment when I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. But I very rarely today engage in meaning making i try i mean i do it reflexively i don't purposefully engage in it uh just because it was such a big part of another era of my life yeah yeah i wonder if ultimately you can't try to do two at the same time which is kind of what i'm doing right yeah you, like you meditate a little bit <laughs> you go to eckhart tolle for a week but then you come back from eckhart tolle and you try to grow your business, grow your business. you know <laughs> go on a date yeah like, you meditate and then right after you open up hinge you yeah, try yeah, to get yeah. a date I, I wonder if that can't work well, can't work. I mean, it does work, right? It all works. I mean, here we are. It's working. Yeah, it's you know? fair. That's yeah. kind of always what I fall back <laughs> on. Is like, as long as I'm happy, that's really all that matters. Uh, yeah, let's leave it at that. <laughs> you think truth over happiness? I don't know. I don't know. But I don't know that I would say as long as I'm happy, that's all that matters. But yeah, let's leave it at that. Anyways, guys, good stuff today. Thank you, Angel, for, for hanging out with us listening and writing everything down that's it for today really right i'm just get some food blabbering on right now all right guys take care peace when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.